Welcome to A Crash Investigation, the podcast, the show we dissect and discuss primary crashes in aviation history. I am your host, Jonaka Kai, as always, and in today's episode, we are going to be discussing TWA Flight 800, the crew, the crash, basically everything else in between. And before getting started, you know the drill. If you're listening on YouTube, don't forget to like and subscribe. It really helps a lot. And if you're listening on a podcast listening platform, don't forget to rate us five stars. And if you do not want to rate us five stars, what are you doing with your life? But without wasting any more of your time, seeing as though this is going to be a really long episode and it is going to be incredibly detailed, let us get into it. It is the greatest aviation mystery of all time. Lies a massive passenger jet and the remains of its 239 passengers and crew. Uh, good morning. We have a uh, smoke uh, uh, problem. And we're doing emergency descent to level 150. In December 1988, a passenger airliner was bombed over Scotland in what was one of the largest pre-9-11 terrorist attacks. TWA Flight 800 was a scheduled flight for the 17th of July, 1996. The origin of this flight was John F. Kennedy International Airport, New York City, New York, the United States. Its destination was Leonardo da Vinci International Airport, Rome, Italy. This flight had a stopover at our favorite airport, Charles de Gaulle International Airport, Paris, France. The operator was Transworld Airlines, aka TWA. The aeroplane used was the Boeing 747-131. And finally, the call sign of TWA Flight 800 was TWA 800. The crew and passengers. The captain of this flight was Ralph G. Kervoken, who was 58 years old at the time of the crash. He was hired by TWA on the 20th of May, 1965. The captain had obtained 18,000 flight hours with 5,490 flight hours on the 747. His recent proficiency exam was on the 22nd of March 1996. He only required glasses for near vision, and he was sitting on the front left seat in the cockpit, aka the captain's seat. The first officer, Czech Airman, or captain as he is referred to as in the final report was Stephen E. Schneider who was 57 years old. He was hired by TWA on the 13th of April 1964. In total he had obtained 17,000 flight hours with 4,700 of those hours on the 747. His recent proficiency test was on the 15th of April 1996. He had, and I quote, no restrictions or limitations, end quote, for flying. He was sitting on the front right seat in the cockpit. The flight engineer was Richard G. Campbell, who was 62 years old at the time of the crash. He was hired by TWA on the 26th of February, 1966. 
Fun fact, he was actually a captain before he became a flight engineer and he was supposed to retire a little while before this flight took place but he decided to switch from captain to flight engineer. I just wanted to let you know in case you are wondering why he was hired in 1966 but his flight hours are so low. So as a flight engineer he had obtained 3047 flight hours with 2397 of those hours under 747. His recent proficiency test was on the 17th of July 1996. He only had and I quote the limitation that he wear glasses for near and distant vision end quote. He was sitting in the flight engineer seat. There was a trainee flight engineer on this flight and his name was Oliver Craig who was 24 years old. He was officially hired by TWA on the 22nd of June 1996. In total he had obtained 2520 flight hours with 30 of those hours as a flight engineer trainee. His recent proficiency test was on the 12th of December 1995. So I'm sure you're wondering why was he officially hired? by TWA on the 22nd of June 1996 but his recent proficiency test was dated to 1995. Well since he's a trainee flight engineer he started working in around 1995 and officially TWA gave him a contract in 1996. He had and I quote no restrictions or limitations end quote and he was sitting in the cockpit jump seat. In total, there were 212 passengers on board and this included the French ice hockey player Michael Bristoffel, an American fashion photographer named Lawrence Harris, and 16 students from the French club of Montesville Area High School in Pennsylvania, the United States. There were 14 flight attendants on board and in total, the total people that were on board, which includes the flight attendants and the crew, there were 230 people. The aeroplane. So the aeroplane that was used, as I had mentioned before, was the Boeing 747. Now this 747 specifically had 93,303 total hours of operation at the time of the accident, which can be a red flag, but I'll explain later on. So the flight. On the 17th of July 1996, at 20 minutes to 6 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time, the Boeing 747 along with Captain Kervokian, First Officer Schneider, Flight Engineer Campbell and Trainee Flight Engineer Craig take off from Athens, Greece as TWA Flight 881. At 29 minutes to 4 p.m., TWA Flight 881 lands at JFK International Airport. There were no problems reported on TWA Flight 881. Now this plane was refueled and it remained at gate 27. This plane would now be known as TWA Flight 800. The auxiliary power unit or APU and two out of the three air conditioners operated for a further two and a half hours. Now TWA Flight 800 was supposed to leave at 7 p.m. EST, but there were delays due to a, and I quote, disabled piece of ground equipment and concerns about a suspected passenger baggage mismatch, end quote. At 5 minutes past 8 to 7 minutes past 8 p.m., the crew started engines number 1, 2, and 4 and completed an after-start checklist. At 8 minutes past 8 p.m., the crew was told to taxi to runway 2 to flight. 
At 17 minutes past 8 p.m., the air traffic controller told the crew, and I quote, TWA 800 heavy caution wake turbulence from a 757, runway 22 right taxi into position and hold, end quote. At 19 minutes past 8 p.m., TWA flight 800 finally takes off. At 25 minutes past 8 p.m., the Boston Air Route Traffic Control Center, or ARTCC, tells TWA Flight 802, and I quote, Climb and maintain 19,000 feet or 5,791,2 meters and expedite through 15,000 feet or 4,572 meters, end quote. The pilots acknowledged and agreed to this request. At 26 minutes past 8 p.m., the Boston ARTCC changed TWA Flight 800's altitude clearance to 13,000 feet mean sea level or 3,962,4 meters mean sea level. The reason why they use or why I am saying mean sea level is because at this point they are above the Atlantic Ocean. At 27 minutes past 8 p.m., TWA Flight 800 reaches the assigned altitude from the Boston ARTCC. At 29 minutes past 8 p.m., Captain Kervokin says, and I quote, Look at that crazy fuel flow indicator there, number four. See that? End quote. Whilst this whole confusion was happening at half past 8 p.m. 15 seconds, Boston ARTCC tells TWA Flight 800 to climb and maintain 15,000 feet mean sea level or 4,572 meters mean sea level. Captain Kervokin tells First Officer Schneider to climb thrust. At half past 8 p.m. 18 seconds, First Officer Schneider acknowledges air traffic control's clearance. At half past 8 p.m. 25 seconds, Captain Kervokin tells the other pilots to, and I quote, climb thrust, end quote. At half past 8 p.m. 35 seconds, Flight Engineer Campbell responds to Captain Kervokin's request by saying, and I quote, powers set, end quote. For one minute after Flight Engineer Campbell's response, there were different sounds that were being recorded by the CVR or cockpit voice recorder, such as mechanical movement and unintelligible words. At 29 minutes to 9 p.m. 50 seconds, a captain of East Wind Airlines Flight 507 reported that he, and I quote, just saw an explosion out here, end quote. He then gave further details 10 seconds later by saying, and I quote, We just saw an explosion up ahead of us here, about 16,000 feet or 4,876,8 meters, or something like that. It just went into the water, end quote. The aeroplane that the captain of East Wind Airlines Flight 507 saw was TWA Flight 800, and TWA Flight 800, unfortunately, crashed into the Atlantic Ocean near East Moriches, New York. There were unfortunately no survivors. The investigators. So the National Transportation Safety Board or the NTSB was in charge of investigating this crash because the plane crashed in the vicinity of the United States. How TWA Flight 800 crashed? So witnesses actually saw an explosion of some type of aircraft, the aircraft being TWA Flight 800. They then saw a large fireball heading towards the ocean with some broken debris falling into the water first. 
the wreckage information so the wreckage and i quote was distributed along a northeasterly path about four miles or 6.437 kilometers long by three and a half miles or 5.632 kilometers wide in the atlantic ocean off the coast of long island usa end quote now the reason why it was distributed like so big was because TWA actually had a mid-flight breakup which is why many people saw a large fireball heading towards the ocean. Now the wreckage was actually on the ocean floor of the Atlantic Ocean therefore it was hard to retrieve. The investigators had two priorities with this investigation. Number one to retrieve the remains of the victims and then number two to recover the wreckage. The recovery actually took more than 10 months and the actual investigation took about 4 years. 95% of the wreckage was recovered and the wreckage was sent to the Grumman Aircraft Facility in Calverton, New York for further examination. The Wreckage Examination so the fire and explosive experts and metallurgists from the NTSB, the Federal Bureau of Investigation or the FBI, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms of the United States or the ATF, and the Federal Aviation Administration or the FAA examined the wreckage. They were looking for evidence of, and I quote, damage characteristic of a bomb, missile, or high-order explosives such as hot particle penetration, pitting, petaling, hot gas erosion of metal, high degree of fragmentation, hole penetration from outside to inside, end quote. They found no evidence of any of those things, and actually with the recovery portion of this episode, a few pieces of the wreckage such as the right wing were found floating on the water. Then everything else was actually on the ocean floor, meaning this is a definite red flag. The meteorological information. So at John F. Kennedy International Airport, the weather was as follows. Wind 220 degrees at 8 knots, visibility 10 miles or 16,09 kilometers, clouds at 6,000 feet or 1,829 meters scattered, ceiling 7,000 feet or 2,136 meters broken, 9,000 feet or 2,743 meters broken, temperature 82 degrees Fahrenheit or 28 degrees Celsius, dew point 70 degrees Fahrenheit or 21 degrees Celsius, end quote. And the weather at Francis S. Gabreski Airport, which was about 12 nautical miles, 22,24 kilometers or 13,8 miles north of the crash site, was as follows. Winds 240 degrees at 4 knots, visibility 4 miles or 6 kilometers, haze, Clouds at 6,000 feet or 1,829 meters scattered. Temperature 73 degrees Fahrenheit or 23 degrees Celsius. Dew point 66 degrees Fahrenheit or 19 degrees Celsius. Total sky cover 3 over 8. End quote. This basically means that the conditions were optimal for flying. The medical and pathological information. So muscle tissue of Captain Kervokian, First Officer Schneider, Flight Engineer Campbell and Flight Engineer Trainee Crick were sent to the FAA Civil Aeromedical Institute or CAMI for short in Oklahoma for toxicology tests. They found that the muscle tissue was, and I quote, negative for all drugs of abuse and for prescription and over-the-counter medications, end quote. 
There was a small presence of alcohol in some of the tissue, but toxicologists concluded that it, and I quote, was most likely from postpartum ethanol production caused by decomposition, end quote. Now the 747-100's fuel system. So the 747 actually comes with seven fuel tanks with three in each wing and one in the center wing or CWT. The fuel in the tanks would be measured by the Fuel Quantity Indication System or FQIS, TWA Flight 800's fueling. Now this is a long portion, so I hope you are ready. Here we go and I quote. TWA's fuel records indicated that the accident aeroplane was refueled at Athens and that its fuel load for the trip to JFK included a full center wing tank or CWT. TWA's records further indicated that upon arrival at JFK, the accident aeroplane center wing tank or CWT contained about 300 pounds or 136 kgs of fuel. When the aeroplane was refueled at JFK, no additional fuel was added to the CWT. According to TWA's fueling records, the accident aeroplane was fueled at JFK using the underwing pressure method. End quote. Now, the underwing pressure refueling system is basically the fuel delivery to the aircraft via pressure. This means that the aircraft would be refueled at the bottom of the wing instead of on top of the wing. Now, this is usually used because maintenance does not have to get a ladder to get on top of the wing, nor do they have to use an extra long hose. Furthermore, the overwing method refueling actually takes really long, and we all know that aviation is a business that works with time. Now, the underwing pressure fueling system is not the best because it can cause air to enter the tank, which can cause a fuel air explosion. So remember this information for later on. I promise it's going to be worth it. So the investigators got TWA's refueling info and it read as follows. The accident aeroplane's maintenance records revealed that the aeroplane had experienced several intermittent problems during fueling operations in the two years before the accident, including one that occurred before the accident aeroplane departed JFK. After the accident, a TWA mechanic advised the board that while the accident aeroplane was being refueled at JFK for TWA Flight 800, the fuel system shut down. After the aeroplane was fueled, the mechanic reset the fuse and circuit breaker. In addition to the refueling difficulties noted, the safety board's review of the accident aeroplane's maintenance records revealed three logbook entries regarding the fuel leaks during the preceding two years. The board also noted 25 maintenance logbook entries regarding fuel flow, fuel gauge indicators, inaccuracies and fluctuations and inoperable fuel system equipment, end quote. Furthermore, the FQIS system wiring had to be replaced a couple of times, meaning that it could have been faulty during the TWA Flight 800 flight. The investigators now knew that the aeroplane had fuel tank problems, wiring problems, and it underwent the dangerous underwing pressure fueling system. So the combination of faulty wiring and the combustion of fuel and air subsequently led to the in-flight explosion. There was absolutely no way to save the plane. The findings, here they go and I quote, number one, the flight crew was properly certified and qualified and had received the training and off-duty time prescribed by federal regulations. 
no evidence indicated any pre-existing medical or behavioral conditions that might have adversely affected the flight crew's performance during the accident flight. Number two, the in-flight breakup of TWA flight 800 was not initiated by a bomb or a missile strike. Number three, the fuel air vapor in the U-large of TWA flight 800's settling fuel tank was flammable at the time of the accident. And number four, the TWA-800 in-flight breakup was initiated by a fuel-slash-air explosion in the center wing fuel tank, end quote. So the probable cause of the crash, it reads as follows. The National Transportation Safety Board determines that the probable cause of the TWA Flight 800 accident was an explosion of the center wing fuel tank or CWT resulting from ignition of the flammable fuel-air mixture in the tank. The source of ignition energy for the explosion could not be determined with certainty, but of the sources evaluated by the investigation, the most likely was a short circuit outside the CWT that allowed excessive voltage to enter it through electrical wiring associated with FQIS. End quote. Now the recommendation set out by the NTSB to the Federal Aviation Administration. Examine manufacturers' design practices with regard to bonding of components inside fuel tanks and require changes in these practices as necessary to eliminate potential ignition hazards. Develop and implement procedures including a checklist of safety-related items for the handling and placement of explosive training aids by K-9 explosive detection teams to prevent containment of aircraft and airport facilities. And finally, require in all applicable transport aeroplane fuel tanks surge protection systems to prevent electrical power surges from entering fuel tanks through fuel quantity indication system wires. End quote. And that is the end of today's episode. I apologize that it is so late. The thing is, you know, I'm not trying to make any excuses, but like living in South Africa and the electricity problems in South Africa, where we basically sometimes do not have any electricity it's not an excuse but it is an explanation so apologies for that i will try to record way before any load shedding stuff happens but either way thank you so much for listening once again don't forget to like and subscribe if you're listening on youtube if you're listening on a podcast listening platform don't forget to rate us five stars and follow us there in order not to miss a new episode my name is Ronaka Kai. Thank you so much for listening and I'll catch you in the next one. Hopefully that episode will be earlier. Cheers.